Greetings, great, greetings, great ones. Been a while. Been a long, long time. Long time. What's up, people? How you doing? It's been a long time. Been a way long time. <sighs> so what happens when you have children? Yes. For many of you who don't know this, uh, Brian adopted a young baby, and she is just beautiful. Her name is Willow. And she, Willow uh, she was born November 2021. 20, yeah. So a few weeks after our last podcast yes weirdly enough yes but thank you to everyone that's still been downloading yes we appreciate it it's all beautiful we're trying to pass on some fake knowledge that we think we have yes. to all of you always as always <laughs> don't have five children that would be my five next children. one we had four you beat us by one of course i had to win you should you should know that by now that I had to <laughs> had win to, that. You had to win. It just makes me feel better about myself. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you got to feel better about yourself. I do have my rock star. So, yes, this is a dad of five children drinking his rock star, sugar free. Hopefully, I can live longer. Who knows? Yeah, happy days for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, so what do you want to talk about today? What's, uh, what's Let's the talk. good news? How about some paranoia to begin? Okay, let's hit it. How's paranoia affect you? Paranoia. Do you get lots of paranoia or is it just me? I am. Um, I'm, I get, cause I have um, a bit of a, a um, compulsive nature. Yeah. And uh, when I get, when I get a little ADD about things, I get a little paranoid maybe sometimes. That's, I'm that's definitely why I, paranoid. That's why I buy guns. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, in general, I've kind of been meditating and thinking about paranoia or anxiety and how it affects my life. And if it's really an emotion that we allow in to our bodies, or is it something that is naturally generated by something that we don't control um, or have free will over? Or, I mean, I uh, give you a little background. I had like a deep meditation once and part of the meditation was to think of something that you're extremely paranoid about or fear or scared of. And picture it and just all of a sudden let it come to you. So it comes to me and I, I kind of picture it outside of me, like in front of me. And then it talks about in the meditation <clears throat> to let it in. So you, you take this deep, scary, paranoia feelings and you, and I could literally feel it coming in. Yeah. You sit with it. Yeah. It was like really scary. Like I, it almost brought me to tears. And so it came in. And then uh, the other part of the meditation is now pull it back out and let it go, like let it disappear, so to speak, like mm. move on to something else. Yeah. So maybe part of bringing that in is processing around it and then letting it go. It was weird though, because I didn't process anything, at least in it, it, it's a 10 minute med meditation. So it's not like it's a long one, but it's like what, what, what it made me realize is like, I'm in... Uh, if you can recognize the paranoia or whatever it is, that anxiety. And sometimes I think we do just allow it in instead of letting it like get rid, like let it go or, or move on to something else. Or, you know, but how much free will do you really have of that paranoia, anxiety, whatever that emotion is in coming into your body and how do you get it out? Yeah. So, so I know I'm not an expert around these topics, but, um, so if I was to explain to one of my kids what paranoia is, 
I would say to them, if it creates anxiety, it's some worry or uncertainty about the future. And a lot of times when we get high anxiety, we are having overwhelmed feelings about anxiety about the future. Now, right now, I got to tell you, with inflation, with gas prices, with um, the crazy things that are happening in politics and the division between liberals and conservatives, I mean, I could just go on and on and on. The, uh, there are so many things that are uncertain. The housing bubble, the, the housing crash, interest rates, I'm like, it just goes on and on and on. And the more you worry and the more you're uncertain about the future, the greater anxiety you have. When that anxiety gets to a level that's unhealthy and psychopathic, it's paranoia. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> that's, how I would re- yeah. that's how I'd respond. No, that's how I'd define it. No, right? it's perfect because like I, I immediately thought back to what I allowed in and it was something about the future. Right. It wasn't something about the past. It wasn't something about the present. It was something about the future. That's a very, and it's something we don't have control over. Right. And, and here's the other thing I try to, when I talk to my kids about this, is that 98% or higher of the things you worry about in the future will never happen. Yes. Will never happen. It, you know, it's interesting to say that too, because I, when I was thinking about this, I was like, I know what's going to happen in, in this thing that was giving me paranoia. I know how this ends, but there's this still like ball of energy or paranoia that is there that we allow in. And then I always wonder if it's the battle between what we know to be true or our consciousness and then our brain. Yeah. So, um, so here's some more information that I would share with my kids that, um, paranoia is definitely, um, a stress response, right? And stress responses are caused from, oh crap thoughts. It's not the presence. It's not the presence. Oh, so we were in Yellowstone last week with the boys. I went fishing and hiking with them. And if you're old and feeble, I don't recommend it. But because it just kicks your ass like me, like kick my ass. But actually, it was a great time. And and we're out on this hike, and and we're hiking into this lake, Crystal Lake, where you know you hike in maybe four four miles or so, and then you hike out. And on the way in. <clears throat> I was way behind my boys because they're fast walkers and I'm just an old fart. So, and I run across this couple and uh, they say, Hey, we saw, we saw a grizzly bear about 30 minutes ago. And uh, I'm like, Oh shit, grizzly bear. And, uh, and I'm like, Oh, that scared me a little bit. And then, um, and then I'm walking and the boys were fishing and they're taking forever. And I'm like, I'm walking back to the dam. I'm going to walk back to the car. And there was a fork in the road, fork in the trail. And I did the, I did the things you, stupid things you should never do. First of all, you always need a map. Number right, one, right. you never go alone. You never hike in Yellowstone no. alone, right? And number three, you, you need some kind of self-defense thing. Now I had that covered. I had a forty-five with some bear rounds in it, and I'm like, okay, if worse gets worse, I can, you know, do take care. And go I, wild I, west on yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, and I take the wrong fork, and I'm like, after about an hour of hiking, I'm like. Oh shit, this is none of this looks familiar. And I look to my left and there's this creek. And I'm like, when we walked in, the creek was on my left. And I'm walking out and I'm like, the creek's on my left. And I'm like, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I look over to this prairie that's like a mile wide. And I see these other people, you know, hiking to, you know, and I'm like, that's the damn trail I need to be on. So instead of hiking back 
an hour and then hiking forward an hour, I just go, I'll just go across this prairie, this prairie thing. And I'm like, and I'm starting to think, I don't know, should I hike back on the trail? Should I go across this prairie? And all of a sudden I hear this bear. I'm like, oh shit. (laughs) You want to talk about paranoia or panic? I'm like, my ass is getting across the prairie right now. So I'm like, I just freaking as fast as I could have got across the prairie. It took me 45 minutes or an hour or so. And I finally got out of there, but like, like I, I got lost. And my and my boys will just just ridiculed the shit out of me. Of course but, they um, did. But um, it's funny because I had a bunch of stress responses, and we know we used to think the presence of the bear would cause the stress response, but we know that that's not true. Because can you be in the presence of a grizzly bear and not have a stress response? No. Well, yeah, you can in the zoo. I don't think so. Oh, well, well you can in the zoo. I don't know. I still feel like there's, I don't know, there's well, something innate. But yeah, yes, I sure, get it. The, yeah, I get what you're saying. The, yes. the psychology of it is, is um, it's the oath. Oh, crap, there's a grizzly bear. The thought, oh, crap, there's a grizzly bear that gives you the stress response. Yeah. And if the thoughts get out of control and they're oh, crap thoughts that are out of control, that's paranoia. And that's pretty damn good definition just on the fly. Just pull oh, it out of my ass no, just right now. No, that's great. Because I always like that's to. That's how I make sense of it to my kids, I think. Well, I always like to surprise Sam with these kinds of <laughs> topics here. But no, that's exactly right. The paranoia. <clears throat> but it, it's the control factor that always fascinates me is how much control do we have? How much of that. And what this meditation taught me is I have a lot more control than I thought. Yeah. And, and you've said this for a long time. The only thing we really control is our thoughts. That's it. And I'm like, not even our thoughts. So it's how we respond to our thoughts. Right. Because sometimes the thoughts just come. Thoughts can just come and you're Correct. like, oh, I'm going to, you know, jack somebody up with this, you know, pair. Yeah. I was messing bite. with my niece the other day. She's 16 and I kept messing with her on free will. Right. And it's just one of my favorite pastimes of all time. So, but yeah, it's like, that's the only free will you have is what you do with so the thought. You, 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 on the surface, you deny free will. It freaks people out. They're like, oh yeah. Like I totally just jack with them so hard because <laughs> you only, you only have a few instances of free will that truly exist, which should make us all less judgmental in my opinion. But I mean, you know, you never know. I think the more I've suffered in my life and the more I've uh, gained um, went and got through trials and tribulations, the more I understand that um, free will is on a continual. Oh, yeah, that's how I time. describe it. Yeah. Some people have just like gads of free will and other people like really very small, maybe small yes. windows of free will. It, it's the people that have the very, very, very small windows that don't even know that those small windows are existing. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're yeah. just, they really do believe they're making every choice. Yeah, they don't know what they don't know. That hundred percent true. Matter of fact, I read this book. I think you told you gave it to me to read. Which one? Oh, it's about the brain or something. Oh, know thyself. Yes. Yes. And it's like the more certain you are of anything, <laughs> the more the the greater the statistically likelihood you're totally wrong. <laughs> And so basically, like our whole blew, podcast is wrong. It just blew my mind. The whole podcast is nothing. Because <laughs> I'm like, well, I, I feel pretty certain about some shit. And, and yeah, yeah. you read that book and you're like, oh, maybe I'm really wrong about those things. Maybe I don't I'm know. an idiot. Yeah, maybe. I think that's the beginning of being smart. Maybe. Is realizing that you're, we're all idiots. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Such, I mean, on the inflate, all those stressors you were talking about on the world right now, I was like, go back to our podcast a couple of years ago. I called the inflation thing because I knew as soon as this happened, 
that the rich were going to get extremely richer. They're getting so wealthy right because now. of inflation. It's ridiculous. You well, know, think, well, I mean, we're not. I wouldn't call us rich, but just think about the equity we have in our homes. That's what I mean. In the last two years, <laughs> but think if you're mega rich and you own five hundred homes. Yeah. How much your wealth? How much that debt on those houses no longer matters because of the wealth on those houses? Yeah, exactly. The debt the debt ratio is really a lot less. Yeah, like your credit score just went up a billion points because yeah. your debt to ratio income. Yeah, it's like so, so. Jake was talking to me about his. He was having a good conversation with his father in law, and his father in law is quite well off. And and he was um, ten years ago. He brought this. He bought this property, and it was one of those things where the guy got a really good. He got a really good deal on it because the guy was sort of. Getting divorced or something. Well, I, don't, I don't know the details, but he. <laughs> it's always his best deals right there. Yeah, they, as you know. Yes. You should know 100%. But, um, but uh, he said, you know, this guy was, you know, hard up and, and, you know, Jake's future father in law sort of helped him out. That property's like worth 10 times what he paid for it today. Oh, easily. And it's not a small piece of property. No, this reminds it's me. It's worth freaking a fortune. <laughs> and he's like, is that luck? Or what's well, that book about the oh, psychology of luck. money? It's definitely luck. The psychology of money that I'm halfway through right now that you yeah. gave me. I'm like, some of it's luck and some of it's just being smart. Some of it's taking advantage of it and some of it's a combination of it. And yeah. So, and, but what if the land would have like went into a deep depression and it was worth 10 times less than what he purchased for it? Like, yeah. what if they found toxins? Right. Radio, found, yeah. I mean, radioactive crap. Or, sometimes there's just. Most of the time, there's just there's solid principles to follow when it comes to making money, but a lot of it's luck. It's like um, I was watching the Shark Tank guy. I can't remember which one it was, but he was. Uh, they had Ring Doorbell come on Shark Tank, right? And they all passed. They all passed on Ring Doorbell. And this one guy said, "Well, I'll give you a six hundred thousand dollar loan for two like two percent of the company." Right. The guy's like, "Now," and the guy the guy from Shark Tank said, "If if he would have taken my six hundred, if I would have got my two percent." Yeah, it would have been worth six hundred and eighty million or something. Yeah, like some that. some ridiculous amount, like a like hundred times as yeah. much. You know who was smart and jumped on that bandwagon really quick? Hmm. Shaq. So Shaq was playing in the NBA. He was a major figure, and he somehow he heard about. He tells the story of somehow you know he's really he didn't want people because he's a celebrity. People like bugging him at his house all the time. So he put a ring doorbell, and he's in China. And all of a sudden, his phone he gets a notification that someone's at his door. And he answers it and he's in China mm. and he has a conversation with this person, right? When he gets back to the States, he immediately calls the people at ring. He goes, you know what? You want me and I want you. Perfect. <laughs> and he said, I want to buy into your company and you need me and I'll, I'll in. And, and it is part of his, it's a huge part of his fortune of the success uh, yeah, of that ring. Sure. But he saw the, he saw the practical benefit of that thing. Mm-hmm. Changed. It just freaked him out, and uh, yeah. and now ever millions of people are using it. You well, can buy just, one for yeah. two hundred fifty nine dollars on Amazon. I think they're even cheaper than that now on yeah, Amazon. It's like you can't survive without some kind of camera, doorbell, something like something, something that's activated when someone comes to your door. Right. I mean, and it's it's the same thing. Oh, with technology. Everyone's always afraid to get into new tech. It's kind of like getting rid of the old and coming in with the new. I think there's paranoia there always, right? Like you have to be flexible yeah. with the times, the things, and really step back and take your biases out of things to really see if it's appropriate or not, if it can work or not. Because there's too many times, even as lawyers, we think, well, that doesn't work. Well, that may not have worked 15 years ago, but it might work now. Do you know what I mean? Like you really have to decide if you're going to be open to things and really try and look at the big picture 
or if paranoia is going to get you so strongly that you're going to stay stuck in your ways. Right. So I like this sort of ad hoc definition about paranoia being a whole series of oh crap, being overwhelmed with oh crap measures, oh crap, um, oh crap thoughts, right? Yes. And um, and if you can get a hold of your thoughts when you're paranoid, so in that meditation where you brought it in and you pulled it out. Well, guess what you were doing? You're controlling your thoughts. Correct. Right. And it puts you at a sense of peace because there wasn't anything inherently dangerous or, or anything to give you that, that would instigate a, a stress response thought. So the human anatomy, the human body, you know, has, has come up with a way to protect itself through stress response. That anciently, over thousands of years, that's what's kept us alive, stress response. And today, in these days, um, you know, and that's the only purpose of a stress response is oh. to keep you alive when you are in imminent Correct. danger. But these days, like everybody I know has stress res has stress responses, like oh. repeatedly. And the definition of repeated stress responses is called chronic stress, and that's what kills you. Oh. That makes your cortisol, cortisol levels, you know, go all over the place in your body, and you have you get cancer, and you feel bad, and you're it just it just kicks your ass. And uh, so. Uh, so anyway, getting back to controlling your thoughts, really a good a good practice to do. Well, I wouldn't even, yeah, controlling your reaction to your thoughts because you are like yeah. we've said a hundred times, you're going to have these thoughts. Yeah. You don't know where they come yeah, from, and they do. But but so you maybe you not have a um, hundred percent control of your thoughts because some things creep in. But you probably have. Uh, let's uh, say you have seventy percent control over your thoughts. You, you're thinking. Yeah. You can start the day right with some meditation and guided prayer or whatever. And and then when things, but, but when bad negative thoughts come to your mind, you can redirect it. That's Correct. what you're talking That's about. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, but I think, I think it's both. I think you can, you can control a certain amount of them. And when you can't, then, then you redirect it. Right. Like it's control what you can and then redirect. Yeah. Is what I would say. Well, I mean, even these people that have come up with businesses or great ideas of tech or whatever, they always say they don't know where the idea came from. Like it just came to them. Do you know what I mean? And so part of it, I think, is putting yourself in the right situation to have that thought come to you or to have that idea and then what you do afterwards with it really goes to success or not success. I mean, some of my best ideas are not, I don't know where they came from. Like you shared with me a couple of weeks ago on a book yeah. I should write. And I'm like, I'm all over yeah. that shit. Yeah. I don't know where that came from. It just is, it's just there. And it's mm -hmm. what you do with it. It's like not having the fear to be wrong, not having the fear to sound silly, whatever it is, but it's just this fear paranoia that surrounds us constantly. I mean, it's what causes value in things, right? Like if something's limited edition, we all want it, whether it's really that cool or not. Right. Like who really, yeah. I mean, like I, it, it's the mind psyche is so unreal on if there's only a certain amount, everybody right. wants scarcity it. versus abundance. Right? Oh my gosh. And there's scarcity around things. And this is where, if you can get in the mindset of abundance with money, I was trying to teach my kids this. Mm -hmm. We were coming back from Yellowstone and guess what book we listened to? I can think of a bunch, but creating yeah. affluence. But oh yes, Deepak Chopra. Yes, I am. I'm. I am proud to, to let everybody here know that I actually was able to introduce um, Brian to Deepak um, a couple years ago, and yes, all a because of Sam meeting. screwed up my brain. 
<laughs> we had a private meeting with Deepak. And the coolest thing about that meeting or that seeing him live and visiting with him is we had a meditation with like, what, 4,500 people that night? Oh, yeah, like, a ton. The place it was, was packed. It was palpable at how freaking cool that was. But, but this book that he wrote called Creating Affluence is a powerful the ABCs of affluence. So simple. Simple and powerful. A short book. You can read it in like an hour. You can. And uh, so after the book, you know, we played it on audio. It's like 30 years old. The audio's old. And uh, then we had a really robust discussion with my kids, my boys. I said, you, by your intention, you put forth, you create the future by your intention and thought. And yes. they were like, they weren't getting it. <laughs> and I'm like. Oh. They don't want to. Well, they just, you know. Anyway, I finally think we broke through. I broke through a little bit. Yeah. Because afterwards, you know, after the trip, um, Ben goes, man, it really made a difference. I called this dude and uh, he and his brother have this uh, this wood company called Bracken Brothers Wood Products. And, and Ben focuses on smaller things like chopping blocks and knife holders and all this kind of stuff. And, and he says, Dad, um, I was really thinking about what was limiting me and my thoughts and intentions. And, and I get a call from a dude the day we get back from Yellowstone and... They order like a bunch of chopping blocks, a bunch of these knives. And it was like $2,800 for the orders. And he goes, this stuff really works. <laughs> yes, like, it does. Hello. Intention. Dude, they don't get like, yeah, like you're never going to accomplish something you don't believe you can, can accomplish. Right. So the way I say it in my coaching business is if you can't see it, you can't do it. Right. You can't, you really can't. But can't. like people don't believe that. I mean, I, I don't, I don't really don't think they do. Yeah, they don't. I mean, it reminds me of this quote that I saw this week. And oh, what's his name here? George Bernard Shaw. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, he's a famous dude. Oh. Broadway dude. <laughs> there are two tragedies in life, he says. One is not to get your heart's desire. And the other is to get it. Is to get your heart's desire. That's true. True. Because then what are you going to do then? What are you going to do then? Yeah. What are you going to do then? Very interesting. Right. But it goes to that. Where are your intentions? Yeah. And then what do you do once you get it? Yeah. So, so one of the work, some of the work I do with people is, and like, I talk to a lot of people who have dreams. They have dreams, but they don't do the next step, which is put the dream into a functional plan with goals and create um, activities that produce the dream. Like, it's like they miss, a, it's like, okay, you want to be a famous whatever, but you don't want to pay the price. I'm like, mm -hmm. that shit ain't going to happen. Like, if you want to be a great athlete, guess what? Michael Jordan had enough gravitas and, you know, athleticism. But what made him great, and if you study Michael Jordan, you study Kobe Bryant, you study the truth. These guys were fanatical, mm -hmm. fanatical work. They worked at what they loved. And they made their dreams a reality through their actions, mm -hmm. through their daily routines and behaviors, which were different than anybody else. Yeah, they were willing to sacrifice things that other people weren't. Exactly. And so if you're a dream chaser, then you need to get your routines right and work your ass off. Otherwise, the dreams ain't going to do shit, or, even if you have good intention. Right. Or you're going to have to be content with what you have. Right, right. So, so it's like people lose – they lose <laughs> – they lose the the understanding that if you have a dream and you're serious about the dream, you need to activate the dream mm -hmm. and you need to activate it through some consistent action that gets you closer to that dream. Mm -hmm. And this is the price people aren't willing to pay because they don't have the discipline to do it.
Yeah, Jim Rome said there's two there's two you can you can you can have there's two pains in life, the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. Right? Mm -hmm. Which one is easier and which one is harder? Well, the pain of regret, you know, kicks you in the nuts. And yeah, but if you even recognize it, because I think this goes back to the whole I don't know. I mean, how much can you really change somebody to make them want to do that? I mean, or how much can they really change themselves? I mean, it's, it goes back to like, you just know that certain personality traits, otherwise everyone would be in an affluent situation. Right. So, so the way I deal with change is incremental. It's, it's a process. It's not an event. But we only live 4,000 weeks. We live 4,000 weeks and and if we really focus on getting better every day in 4,000 weeks, you know, some pretty significant shit can happen. Yeah, but then my brain cells start wearing out. Yeah, well, and then you worms eat your then flesh die. and you die and everyone dies. And you so, want to hear um, my conspiracy theory of the week yeah, that I thought was fascinating? Or, but don't finish your thought, then I'll tell you no, my No, because I, I have a story after you tell me your conspiracy well, I just, theory, I have a story. The fun, you brought it up with the you die. But the conspiracy theory is the CIA has been working with hospitals on the East Coast of people that die and they can bring them back to life if it's um, right temperature, blah, 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 and it's within 24 hours of their brain stopping. But they don't have the same personality. Oh, that's a conspiracy theory? And it's like, well, I definitely could see this as possible. But yet they bring them back and usually make them into like soldiers, blah, 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 stuff mm. like that. Oh, that's pretty weird. Because there's no next of kin. There's no next can because they're already dead. Right? Well, nobody claimed them. Nobody claimed them. That's pretty weird. So uh, <laughs> on a tragic note, I had a dear friend um, pass away last week. Dear friend of mine. His name is Doug Moffat. He's been a friend of mine for 30 years. He introduced me to mountain biking. And, you know, he, Doug, we went to his funeral on Wednesday. And I just freaking cried for like four hours. I'm like, this just blows. And uh, But um, his wife, Diane, did something marvelous. As you were going through the greeting area to, to, to connect with the grieving family, there were stories. There's a long line because he was well-loved. Mm -hmm. There were stories about a lot of things. And there's one, there's one particular story I want to share with you. It's a funny stamp story. And uh, this, is my, this, is about, this is sort of a tribute to my friend Doug, who's just a wonderful man. And, uh, and, but he was an outdoorsman. Right, loved mountain biking, loved hiking, loved uh, skiing in the winter, and and he got me into all that stuff when we first moved to Utah. You know, got me into mountain biking. I loved it, and and we have great stories that we'll always remember between us. Um, it was just wonderful. And but Doug liked to scuba dive. He was a certified scuba diver guy. And and about um, I don't know eight or nine years ago, he was back in Maine where his family was from, and his family has a place on a big a big um, big lake like a lake house area. And one of the things he did as a kid, he used to love to go snorkeling and scuba diving in this lake. So they go back there as a, you know, for a family vacation and he brings his gear and he scuba and he, and he wants to go scuba diving in the lake mm -hmm. and his, and his cousins and his, and you know, all his family's there and everything. They're staying at the cabin and, and he forgets to bring his earplugs. Oh no. So he's like, ah, what, what can I do? You know, he's like, what can I use the earplug when I go scuba diving? Right. So he's thinking, he's thinking, he's thinking. And, uh, and, um, he says, I can put some paper in there. I can put like toilet paper and that'll just fall out and be stupid. And then, and then he sees some gummy bears. Oh no. So he says, gummy bears. He 
picks one up and he squishes it around. He goes, these are perfect. <laughs> so, so he jams some gummy bears oh in his ears. And then he starts scuba diving. Well, like after two minutes, he has this incredible pain in his ears. Ah, he's like, ah, I have all this pain. So he shoots up as fast as he possibly can. He's probably, I don't know if it was that deep to get the bends, but he comes bolting out of the water, is taking his gear off. And because the gummy bears are water soluble, like there's yeah. red stuff coming down his oh, ears, no. right? And they happen to be cinnamon gummy bears no 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 <laughs> and he's like, no and and all the family sees him and he's screaming he's rolling around ah like this and like he's bleeding from his ears oh no so they're like call 911 no he's hemorrhaging in the brain <laughs> and it was it was just cinnamon gummy bears jacked in his ears and um and I don't, I don't think that had anything to do with anything. It was funny shit, man. And and Doug and I have a lot of stories just like that. And um, I I miss him so much. But um, anyway, I was uh, I was left to. You know what's weird memory. about cinnamon bears? You know, I crave cinnamon bears when I think about my dad. Really? Who's dad? Really? There you go. <laughs> and my friend Doug just died. We're just like, but how weird is that connection, right? You're telling me a story. It's cinnamon bears. Right. Every time. I, I hate cinnamon bears. Like I don't like. Yeah, them. I don't like to eat them. Either. But for some reason, like like right after my dad passed, I had cinnamon bears in my car. Right. And I didn't. I forgot about. It, but I could smell them so strongly. Right. And I'm like, oh, my dad's here. So we we uh, we I know that there's scientific evidence that we connect emotions to our olfactory system. Yes. This is like a smell can can bring back a memory. Uh -huh. Right. So um. So one of the things I learned in college was, um, or this is one of the things I learned as a coach, and even today, if I want people to recall or remember when I'm teaching them, I have an emotional story that I share with them, um, and they'll don't if 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 they remember the story, they remember the principle. So I haven't figured out yet to have a principle with Doug's kind of gummy bears bleeding. So I guess the principle is things aren't what they seem. Amen <laughs> <laughs> to that. They always aren't what they seem. So, um, but but you'll learn that. I mean, things always aren't what they seem. You hear this, you remember the story of Doug. You'll remember that because you have an emotional reaction to it. Then you'll remember the principle taught that things aren't always as they seem. You know, and right. uh, and so this is how real learning is done. Right. This mm -hmm. is how you this is how we teach our children if we want them to hold on to anything. Correct. You, we have to do it through emotion and experience. Um, you know, so so coming down from paranoia, you know, is uh, to, to pull it back to paranoia was is, is some people who let it get the best of them. They can't control their thoughts or even get a handle on it. No. Right. So th this is where they have. Maybe they need medicine or maybe they go to coping like drinking or whatever. And mm. it settles them to where their brain can calm down because the overactive brain just kicks you in the ass. Well, did you see that study that just came out over decades of reviewed data that they have figured out that there's no connection between uh, de depression and your serotonin levels? Really? Yeah. So they, they've always said it's a chemical imbalance, right, that causes depression or whatever. Well, that's been completely disproven now. Well, I know that the definition of depression is if you feel sad for more than three days, then you're having some kind of depressive episode. Which is probably true, but the, the medicine they give you for that is to even, out, to even out your serotonin levels, but that's not, that's not the issue. So they're saying, yeah, that might be what depression is, but the medicine is not helping. Yeah. Well, when you have, um, 
when you have trauma, so this is what I've learned uh, doing trauma therapy for a year, four years, is that the way you fix trauma ain't through medicine. Trauma does not fix, medicine does not cure trauma. Doesn't, doesn't well, what's work. What's your definition of medicine? Because I do have a comment back to that. So trauma, like in my, with my therapist, he's well, like medicine though, like like serotonin, uh, yeah, you know, the chemical SSR, balance, stuff, SSRI yeah. SSRIs, those kinds of things don't help you with trauma. It, Correct, and that's what the study is saying. Right, it doesn't help you with trauma, and trauma, and trauma is helped with. Um, you have to go through a series of. They seem like voodoo practices, right? But like EMDR and like other kinds of things, neurology, like neural net and pathway stuff. Because um, this trauma is carried in your body. Mm -hmm. There's a weird book called The Body Keeps the Score, which talks about how the body knows what's happened to you and will, and, it, and it protects itself. So a lot of, like I have, a, I have a friend recently who's had a series of triggered memories and he's had these panic attacks for the last 10 years. He's never knew what they were. Well, he goes to a trauma therapist and they're, and they, and all of a sudden all these, these memories start returning to him. He's never had in his life. And, and the kind of pain he suffered as a child was traumatic. And, and, and oftentimes when you're in trauma therapy, you get um, memories you never knew. You like your way and what your body did was it wouldn't allow you to recall them to protect you. But what that does, that screws up your neurology. So your highly trauma creates triggers, triggers take away choice, and it just totally screws the pooch for you. So, um, you know, as far as the answer on depression, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff out there. I've just, um, I've learned that if you can just exercise daily, eat the right foods, get some sleep, then depression can slowly come out. You can come out of it, but I don't but there is something there. I mean, so there's a, there's a new docu series on Netflix called How to Change Your Mind, mm -hmm. and it goes back to LSD, mushrooms, all these oh, these psychedelics of LSD, yes. yeah, and how <clears throat> it, what it did. Is, is when people would microdose with this LSD, and these were studies before Nixon did the whole war on drugs crap, but um, is it would make them deal with the episode, whatever that was. Like they had alcohol anonymous people do it, and it had a higher success rate of people never becoming alcoholics again than anything else was microdosing because they'd have these experiences where they saw and felt connected with everything and felt healed and saw the alcoholism for what it was or what they were dealing with. Yeah, it expanded their consciousness somehow. I, and I, there's a whole, um, I had a friend of mine uh, who went to Stanford and, uh, and he microdosed LSD to expand his thinking. Like mm -hmm. he, he was a psychology major, psychi psychology major, right? And I'm like, at the time I thought it was like in the eighties. I'm like, that's some trippy shit. Right. But yeah. And this is a long time ago, but, um, and, uh, but, but if it expands your thinking, it expands your mind, mushrooms, LSD, you know, like heck microdosing and all that kind of stuff. Some of these people, um, if they didn't do a lot of it, you know, probably or maybe I hate to say this, but could be better off a little bit because of it, because it expanded their thinking. Expanded, but not expanded only expanded their consciousness. Their, yeah, made them see things for make them see things for what they are. Like, why am I an alcoholic really? Like what am I dealing yeah, with? Yeah. 
that I haven't dealt with right. and I'm, I'm masking it with alcoholism. Right. Yeah, your coping mechanism Correct. is alcohol, alcohol. Right. I mean, and it's not like they had to do these LSDs like, like you know, 10 times a week. No, it, was no, like, no, it was like, like a few times, you know? Yeah, and man, it was microdoses too, yeah, right? So they weren't like straight tripping. No, right? no. It, I mean, yet, I mean, they would trip a little bit, but they're not like jumping off buildings, right? Like they're not doing crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. They're just having these wonderful, beautiful experiences that help them overall in the world to see things. And I'm like, oh, it's just amazing to me. And, and it's not surprising to me that somehow those world thinks that the chemicals that we put in our bodies for pharmaceuticals are somehow better than a mushroom that grows out in nature. Yeah. Well, most of the pharmaceuticals, a lot of, not most, but a lot of pharmaceuticals are derivatives of things in nature. That's that. But then they add the chemicals, right? They so, so they figured out what LSD was made of, like what was the chemical, you know, mapping of it or whatever they call it. And then they started producing it, right? Putting it in different drugs and whatnot. And so, right. so why they're banning it, they're also using it. Of course. Course. But in worse ways, right? Of course. And so it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just crazy to me. I think I, th I feel a shift coming in the world where I feel like we're going back to trying to see the world for what it really is, like to really gain an understanding of who we are and why we're here, but also what is really truly best for us. Right. So, how do you think this is going to be resolved? This crazy, and I hate to be political. But how do you think this crazy division of wokeness, the CRT, the um, so for you guys that don't don't know this, but while we've been on um, sabbatical to, from our podcast, I, I ran for the school board and just got my ass kicked, and um, <laughs> for the Utah Board of Education, I'm like, I guess my uh, even though he was the way most intelligent person, you know, like, I and I was really straightforward in my message, and I guess I had an anti campaign that like <laughs> just kicked my ass and stuff, but um, but like um. So it's it's the more I listen to this 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 crazy trans transgender language, the proper pronoun language, it's just it's just there's so much weirdness to it all. Mm -hmm. What do you think is going to happen? How is this going to resolve, or if is it ever going to resolve? The pendulum always swings, and it always swings really far before it gets back to the middle. And I think, so right now it's swinging one way. Yeah, it's you swinging think it's way swing far. The whole other way. Now I think it already swung that way through Trump. So now it's this way. Yes, it's more liberal. Yeah, and I think we're going to get back to the middle Center. and I, and realize that both sides have extremists. And while there are certain things that need to be taught or certain things that need to be understood, they don't need to be in extreme manners. And I think that's where the pendulum is going to swing back. When we finally realize that most of us, if not 90% of us, are all in that middle category. Like we all want to understand things better. We all don't want extremism on either side. Right. But and, but every, and everyone has the right to feel the way they feel. And everyone wants to be valued and loved. And they will. They want to be valued and loved. But the problem is you can't mandate that. You can never mandate you can't, it. You can't legislate that. that. No. You can't mandate that because it just will not work. You'll It'll see this. more animosity. Yes. And you'll see this with abortion. Okay. Like the pendulum swung like, you know, for abortions in any circumstance, right? Basically. But then we have Roe v. Wade. And then nah, kind of in the middle, kind of not. And then now you have the pendulum swinging. Even though I could get into this for hours, the right. Supreme the Court just, the yeah, thing. they just sent it back to the states. But now you're going to have states that are going to go way extreme the other way. 
where they're, I just saw it today, they're trying to censor any advertisements over the internet in their state about abortions. Oh, wow. So now you have this huge swing coming this way, and we're just going to have to get back to the middle. And I have to give it to Sam Harris he, on the abortion issue. He said, what we need to figure out really is you shouldn't be able to get an abortion once a baby can feel, once, once a fetus, whatever you want to call it, group of cells, whatever, can feel pain. Because then it's a sentient human being. Because then it can feel, and then you're causing harm. And you're causing harm. And I think eventually that's where we get. Oh, that's so poetic because the Hippocratic Oath, like you don't think a mother could take the Hippocratic Oath to the baby that's growing in their womb. Right. But that's, yeah. that's where I think we get to, but not until the pendulum swings all the way over yeah. here and it swings all the way over to the other yeah. way. It's like you just, you just got to realize that both arguments at the extremes are crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sort of biased with the whole I know, right to yeah. life thing because my mother was raped and, and she had me out of out of wedlock and she was the victim of a rape. Now, I happen to believe personally that rape and incest are probably good, probably valid reasons to have an abortion, but or the medical um, medical problems of a mother, you know, if her life's in danger. But but I, I I'm pretty conservative with that because I wouldn't be alive if my mother wouldn't have made the the, the decision to give birth to me. So I see know. you have a more um, experienced opinion on the issue. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, so where, as I don't, right? Like I don't, and that's why I have to start going into where I feel comfortable, which is the law or as I explained the opinion of Sam Harris, you know what I mean? Like that's, I have to go into what I know and see, and that's why it's such a sensitive topic. And that's why also people need to get out and vote. Like your opinion should be valued just as Everyone that's how, else's. That's how you make your opinion valuable. Correct. Like, don't sit here and scream at people that have different opinions yeah. to you. That's not going to change them. It's true. Well, I think our time has gotten away with us. And, uh, yeah, it's because we waited too long. And, to uh, what long. are we going to call this thing? The whole kind of uh, paranoia. The, the, prob- the problem and perfection of par- paranoia? Yeah, problems and perfection of paranoia. Mm. <laughs> there. The, okay, we'll do it. Yeah, the perfection and problem of paranoia. See, see, guys, we like to just play on the run here. But, you know, we'll leave you with some CCR. CCR. Well, Bad hey, moon rising. Until next time. Something, because hopefully, some good is coming. Yeah, peace out. We Be safe. Yeah, be safe and don't be paranoid. We like your opinions. Even though the song's about werewolves. <laughs> Sucking the blood out of you. Later. Come on.